Let's look at Proverbs 22 this morning. We'll look at verses 1 and 2, and this kind of is what the rest of the sermon is premised on, and we'll have some other Proverbs and a couple passages from Matthew in there as well. Proverbs 22, 1 and 2 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. And so as you consider that, I think we are posed with a potential question as we even start. A good name is more desirable than great riches. Do you have a good name? Do I have a good name? That's what we're posed with right away. And even more so, as we hear in the children's sermon, we could ask the very same kind of question. When you hear the word good, what goes through your mind? How would you define the word? There are a lot of assumptions that we make in life on how we define things and how we use terms. You know, in the, the world of Christian apologetics, uh, classically, one of the, the kinds of questions that comes up over and over again, and you've probably encountered it or asked it yourself, is why do bad things happen to good people? Right? This is a way that we sometimes ask a question that we think is obvious, but actually there's a lot of assumption built into that. We won't unlock that question today. I'm just using it as an example. But some of the assumption in there uh, is that there's some kind of a assumption that bad things wouldn't happen in this world. There's also a question of what is bad and is the thing that happened bad or not and what is good? How do we define those things? And even beyond that, the further question, kind of like what we're asking here, am I good? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I'm, am I assuming that I'm good or other people are good? So we assume all kinds of things when we hear words like this and even when we read Proverbs like this, a good name. We might think to ourselves, and I know I can easily do this when I read a, a proverb like this, uh, well, more people like me than don't like me, so I probably have a good name. But is that what's actually going on in something like this? When we look at the idea of good and goodness throughout Scripture, and it's not just in Scripture, this obviously has a relationship in the world we live in, what things we might hear when we hear about good and having a good name uh, and where we stand before the living God, uh, we might actually hear that salvation by works when we hear a good goodness and what is good. That if I do enough things, God will accept me. That if somehow in this life, the scales of goodness and badness in my own life just weigh more on the side of goodness, then I'll be good to go with God. We might also hear, when we hear the word goodness, the idea, and especially in a passage like this, of human reward. That if I do enough good things, if I'm likable enough, even lovable enough, if I put in enough effort, people will like to be around me, will love me. I'll get promoted at work, I'll get better grades. Things will work better for me status-wise in life, relationally. And maybe even that'll have some uh, monetary or other effects in our lives and there we can put the first two things together that if I do enough God will accept me and if I do enough other people will like me perhaps when we hear the word good we can hear sort of a health and wealth gospel if I work enough I'm going to get enough and I'm going to get a lot of reward both here and there with God this passage isn't telling us any of those things nor does scripture actually tell us those things What qualifies as good and what qualifies a name as good? Let's just unlock the word good a little bit further, if we could. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, ISBE, as it's known, gives about six or seven different definitions for good, but only the first three matter. The rest are just kind of 
taking off from the same thing. It points out uh, that goodness is possessing desirable qualities. Goodness is something that's beneficial or agreeable. I think we can get around that. That seems like it's, it's on track with goodness. It also points out that goodness is moral excellence. Right? That's something that's morally good, that we would recognize as morally good. And to that effect, we can see that uh, goodness perhaps would be an effect. Matthew 7, 18 through 20, Jesus points out, he says, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire, thus by their fruit you will recognize them. That is, there's some quality of goodness that we're going to be able to see in people. And the third one, which sits in the background of any conversation of goodness, is the idea of completeness. We run into goodness on page one of our Bibles. God created and it was good. And by the seventh day it was complete. But if we tease it out a little bit further even and talk about God, goodness as a character trait of God, God is good. Isn't that a good thing to hear this morning? God is good. And as, in fact, as we talk about goodness and what that looks like, can I just point out that uh, as a simple encouragement, start all your prayers over the next week with a word of praise for God's goodness. Before you do anything else, just say, God, you are good. Let's practice it. God, you are good. Just say that before you pray anything else this week, because God is good. We want to recognize that and praise him for that. God is good. Now, I've been working with this for many years. This actually comes from James Sire, this concept that God's goodness is evidenced or shown in his holiness and his love. That's how we see God's goodness worked out. And I think it's a simple but profound thought. Holiness itself, of course, God is other. God isn't part of his creation. God created and is outside of it, but somehow interacts with it and is unchanged by his creation. But A.W. Tozer, the pastor theologian, points out that God's holiness, among other things, is the condition that holds the world together. Without that steadfast nature of the God who's outside but created, this place would fall apart, everything about it. It couldn't be sustained otherwise. And then God's love, why this is also an outworking of God's goodness, it's, direct, it's God's kindness directed towards us and towards his creation. So it's sustained by the fact that God's holy, and then God outwardly shows that he cares, he's involved, he's personal, he's with us. A.W. Tozer, still following his thought on this, I think he says it so well, he says, goodness, the goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. He is tender-hearted and of quick sympathy, and his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. The goodness of God is the drive behind all the blessings he daily bestows upon us. He created us because he felt good in his heart, and he redeemed us for the same reason. If we don't get our minds around what is good, when we come to this passage, when we come to anything else about God even and God's character, we're going to end up buying cheap goods if we're not careful. We can easily use the term without definition and mean all kinds of things and end up meaning nothing in the end. Proverbs 14, 15 says, The simple believe anything, but the prudent give thoughts 
to their steps. We got a cat a year and a half ago. I like cats now. I didn't until we bought our first cat years ago. She, we had her for 12 years and then she passed away. This wonderful furball who did nothing useful in her life, but I really liked her. But when we first got her, I didn't know about taking care of cats. Um, and so going to the store, buying kitty litter, and um, you know, I'm standing there with a box of kitty litter, and then this uh, delightful man next to me is trying to convince me that the stuff in the bins is actually better, because it's way cheaper, I mean way cheaper. And uh, I said, well, okay, tell me about it. Does it clump up? He said, oh no, this stuff won't clump up on you. And I'm like, but that's actually what I want to happen. So he's telling me the exact opposite thing, trying to sell it to me, and it's not going to work. If we don't define our terms, we're not going to get the right thing, basically, right? We need to know what the qualifications are for what works and what we're looking for and what's desirable. Otherwise, we're just going to buy anything. I was talking to someone not too long ago who was telling me about their friend who had gone through some significant loss in their life. And over the course of a year, all their good friends started drifting away in life. But they were still calling them good friends, even though now they were absent friends. Well, if we haven't defined the term, are they good friends or are they just acquaintances at that point? If even that. Sometimes people will tell you, hey, the food at that, really pla- at that place is really good. Or that movie, really good. Have you ever had recommendations like this? And then you go to eat the food. You go to see the movie. And what is it? Not good. I think we have different definitions in that case of what's good, you might think. Even this week, I was listening to a call-in show, a uh, marriage and family call-in show, where somebody called into the counselor on the other end, and they said, my fiancé canceled our, our wedding that was going to happen in six weeks. I'm crushed by it. And uh, the counselor kind of pried a little bit further and said, okay, well, tell me about what happened. And up, upon conversation, there were about a zillion red flags from her fiancé. And yet she was still trying to go forward and have this good relationship move forward with the wedding to which the counselor on the other end said, I think you're having the opposite reaction I would expect from someone in your case. I would expect you to be on your knees praying to God that this didn't go through. Why are you trying to marry this guy? This is not good. Good ultimately is based on God's character and standards. That's how we would define it. That's why we can give the definitions we can. And the idea of even esteem that we see here as well is just a a reinforcement of that idea. What we want to be is seen by God as good, by his standards. And while it seems simplistic to say it, here's the main point today. God is good, and he wants us to be good too. That doesn't mean he wants us to just behave like good boys and girls because that's what you should do. He wants to remake us from our sinfulness to the goodness we were created to be. He wants us to be good so that we would have a good name. And that good name is only going to come by the power of his son working in us. If we're going to make sense of this, there are two things I'd say about how you would make a good name. And it does sound a little bit like I'm saying we have to put in the effort, we do, but ultimately it's the work and power of Jesus Christ and his spirit in us that makes it good. But there is something required on our part. That's what we're talking about today for the most part. 
if we're going to make a good name, and this is going to sound so generic and vague, but we'll give it some definition, we need to seek the Lord and his will. Otherwise, the things that we're doing in this life aren't good if we're not doing that. And, and you might think to yourself, Pastor Evan, you could say that every single week in every single sermon, and I'd say, yeah, I agree with you. It's very big, very broad. But let's go to Proverbs 3, 3 through 6. should come up on the screen. Although I'm fearful, I forgot verse 6, which is the key one on the screen, so you'll just hear it. It says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, that you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Submit to him. How do we do that? One of the most beautiful things about God, and you could do a comparative religious study and discover how beautiful this truly is, we worship a seeking God. You ever considered that? God created, and he doesn't just leave us to our own devices. He wants a relationship with us and actively seeks us out. We should do the same with him and seek him out as well and seek out his will and submit to his will as the one who is holy and the one who is love, that is a good God. If we're going to seek the Lord's will, we need a heart that's aligned with his will. Again, that seems like it's kind of circular, but here's how that works. We need a heart aligned with his will, and that's going to be sourced in his word, first and foremost. Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. That's where we need to go. That's the source of goodness and where we need to return to. I've had lots of conversations in life that are really generic conversations about God. You've probably had them too with people, where people can kind of say anything broad and vague about God. God is everywhere. God is nowhere. God is in me. God is in the trees. God is all these kinds of things. God is inside of us. God is love, so we should just be loving. And there's truth to some of them, and there's not truth to others. But, but the key question is, if somebody makes some kind of proclamation about who God is or what God is, God is everywhere, God is in the trees or something like that, a lot of you are actually trained to follow up that question with a simple question, which is, how did you come to that conclusion? Whatever we believe about God, a good follow-up question is, how did you come to that conclusion? And really, for an awful lot of people, that's going to stump them because they actually don't know their source of information. They haven't thought it through. That's not a judgment. That's just an observation. God has revealed himself in his word. That's why we're dedicated, as God's people, to reading Scripture. This is God's revelation to us. We're talking about wisdom, the path of wisdom, and the path of the fool in Proverbs. This is the path of wisdom. It's His Word. And if we're going to have a heart aligned with His will, it's sourced in knowing His will, knowing His character, and what He's given us. He's given us, as a seeking God, the way to tap into what he actually wants in this world and what he actually wants from us. This is the path of wisdom. It's the path to having a good name. It's the path to a heart aligned with God's will. And so if we're going to have a heart aligned with God's will, we are, it's got to be sourced in his word, and it's also strengthened through prayer, through that actual relationship with the living God 
both call and response, talking to God, listening to God, a dynamic relationship where we're, we're always listening for his voice and not afraid to take things to him and communicate with God. Proverbs 16.3 says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Now, again, if we haven't defined terms, we can hear in this that God is a genie and whatever I want, boom, he's going to do it. But, of course, we have to temper this with the rest of what we hear in Proverbs and the rest of Scripture. That's not how it works. But I want to give you some thoughts from Bruce Waltke, uh, Old Testament scholar, and Mr. Proverb himself, although this isn't from his commentary on that. Um, he says in his book, The Will of God, and I think this, this helps define what's going on here, and we'll see another proverb that helps refine it even more. He says, so often it seems that Christians are not sure what they should do in a particular situation, or they become flustered, waiting for God to give them a sign when all they really need to consider is the desire of their heart. You see, if you are walking close to the Lord, He shapes your character and influences your life, then He also is shaping your desires. When God is in control of your life, He also is in control of your desires. I think He's on to it there. Proverbs 19.21, if we think that God's a genie who's going to give us whatever we want from the last proverb we read, Proverbs 19.21 brings us back to earth. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. If our hearts aren't aligned with God's heart, and we think we can pray for whatever we want and we're going to get it, we're going to find disappointment on the other end. If our hearts are going to be aligned with God's heart, it needs to be sourced in his word and built on prayer. The other thing, and this is the other half of it, if we're going to have a good name, it means that we're going to, the outward look of that from inside out is going to be that we're going to have integrity of character. Romans 8.29 says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And here we get to the heart of it. We're given a good name by Christ. He has a good name. He gives it to us as we're being conformed into his image through the power of Jesus Christ. You see, God's goodness is supposed to be reflected in each one of us. He created. It was good. We were part of that. We were created. Good. And yet, our foolishness ruins that possibility. Our continued foolishness of walking away from the heart of God and the will of God is what continues to ruin that and give us a bad name, not a good name, yet Jesus provides us with the path of wisdom and it's only through him that we can actually be made good and have a good name. And then those who follow that path, who are being conformed to the image of Christ by saying yes to Jesus and the power of his work and transformation of his work on the cross and defeating death and the resurrection those people have, begin to develop an integrity of character, and those with integrity do right. But they do right as a response to what God has done. They do right not because it gives them glory. If we do that, then we have a bad name, not a good name. They do right because it gives God glory. It's in response. It's not to earn our salvation. 
And the path of wisdom is made through making the right decisions over and over again. Though they may seem small, we continue to walk the path of wisdom, being conformed into the image of Christ in those little and big decisions both. And we begin to develop integrity of character. We do right. The other thing is that those with integrity can be trusted. This, I'm throwing this in there as just an interesting one I ran into this week, but it has to do with this. If, you, if you're looking through Proverbs 22, you've got all these sayings. Saying 5, which is verse 28, says, Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. Translation, don't steal, is all that means. But it's interesting if you think about it just a little bit further, that ancient boundary stone is there for a reason. And if we've got integrity, we're not only not going to steal the land next to us by moving the boundaries so we have a little more land, we're going to try and understand why the boundaries were set up the way they were and how to respect those. But more importantly, those with integrity can be trusted. Here I want to go to the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 33. Jesus says, Again you have heard it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I think about this verse an awful lot in my own life. I want to make sure that what I say can be trusted all the time. I want to make sure that, that what I do can be trusted at all times. And we won't even get into the issue of oaths and all of that. I just want to make sure that I'm a trustworthy person. And, and just to give you a simple example, I you know Stephanie and I have talked about this, and I've been trying to eliminate this from my vocabulary, really common stuff that we use all the time, starting sentences with honestly, to be honest, to tell you the truth, right? Almost all of us do something like this. Why would I start a sentence with that? Are my other sentences not truthful? I know we use them as, as throwaways, but are they simply throwaways? How about I just start a sentence with the truth or what I'm going to say? And the thing about it is, we see this in TV, we see this all over where people try and use and this is a fun word, superfluous language. Big words, extra words, to make themselves sound more trustworthy. Whether it's I promise or big grand words to add to your, your main thing that you're saying, those don't make you more trustworthy. That's not how trust is built. Trust is built on action. Action proves trust. Just do right over and over and over. Let your yes be yes and your no be no is what will happen. People will trust. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. God is good, and God wants us to have a good name. It happens and begins through Christ, but it happens as well in our action and following that path of wisdom with Christ, doing the right thing over and over and over.